From the Cervera Newsroom in sunny Miami, welcome to the Miami Real Estate Podcast, your home for expert insight on all things Miami real estate. I'm your host, Omar DeWin. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome back to the Miami Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Omar DeWin, Communications Executive here at Cervera Real Estate. Thanks for joining us today on another installment of your favorite Miami Real Estate Podcast. We are going to be talking about Florida Senate Bill 4D today. Uh, In May of 2022, this new law was passed as a direct result of the Champlain Towers collapse in Surfside. The legislation essentially made it mandatory for all Florida condos and co-op buildings, three stories or higher, to undergo milestone inspections, structural inspections, and submit specific information to the Department of Business Practices, otherwise known as the DBPR. In addition, regarding the funding of reserves for the continued maintenance and repair of condos and co-op buildings, among other things, the bill prohibits waivers of reserves by associations for certain structural components. So if what does this mean, right? If you or your clients live in a condo or you're considering purchasing one, you're going to want to understand exactly how this legislation impacts you and your association. Joining us today to shed color on this topic is legal expert David Podine, partner and chair of the Real Estate and Transactional Law Group at Miami-based Haber Law. So David, thanks for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's our pleasure to have you, David. And if you could, uh, for our listeners, before we get into it, uh, if you could please help them get to know you, a little bit of a background on yourself, your company, and sort of how you got to today. Sure. So like you said, my name is David Podine. I'm a partner here at Haver Law. We're located in the Wynwood neighborhood of Miami. Uh, I've been working here for about uh, 13 calendar years. We like to joke it's a little bit longer, uh, actually, in terms of life and experience. I was the second attorney hired here, and now I think we're up to about 25 attorneys. So uh, very proud of the team that we've built here. We focus on real estate, uh, within real estate practice. We represent uh, high-rise condominiums and HOAs from Fisher Island, Brickell, um, up the coast as well. We also have uh, one of the preeminent construction defect litigation departments where uh, typically we represent condominium and HOAs and their turnover process against the developer and contractor and construction defects. Uh, we also have a business litigation department. And uh, again, within the real estate, we also do uh, commercial and residential closings, uh, work on uh, financings uh, and sort of everything in between. Excellent. And so uh, what is your, sort of before we get into the specifics of, of these new legal requirements, what uh, has been your sort of involvement uh, in the wake of, of the Champlain Towers collapse from a legal perspective, if, if at all? Sure. So um, I'll touch on it from a legal and kind of personal perspective, which I guess is intertwined because, you know, my, my practice, my job is a big part of my life. Um, so I very easily could have been the attorney representing Champlain Towers. That, that's something exactly that me and a bunch of my teammates do here. We're what we like to call outside general counsel to um, condominiums and HOAs. So that's everything from the dog violation letter or, you know, making sure the estoppel gets done for a severe closing, um, you know, all the way to one of my bread and butter sort of practices is these large special assessments, the loan, the finance special assessment. And then the repair and capital improvement project that goes along with it, the construction contracts, design professional contracts, and then sort of helping execute from the legal perspective that project through the end. So 
Um, I, I still remember when there was the collapse. Couldn't believe it. But then I, I live in Miami Beach, so I don't want to say you're um, dull to it, but I remember hearing of like a balcony collapse or a stucco fell off sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, but then this was like a building collapsed and it's a condo. And I even used to live sort of uh, right up near this building. I, I used to live in the Normandy part of Miami Beach, which is very close to Surfside. I drove by this building countless, countless times, you know, between Miami Beach and, and Bell Harbor. So, uh, you know, it just gripped me. I uh, was fortunate that I didn't know anyone uh, directly that lived there, but uh, it just gripped me because it, it just hit so close to right. sort of my uh, professional experience. Um, within that, we're not directly involved in representing sure. campaign powers or any of the victims or, or related parties. Um, we have been involved in the background with um, advising members of the governor's committee that looked at some of these new laws as well as uh, in contact with some of the Florida legislatures as well. So we've right. had some some involvement with the the task force that looked into the aftermath of this and in shaping some of this, but not directly involved, uh, you know, in the litigation, not directly involved in representing the association or any of the neighboring properties. Understood. And so, and and I think, you know, like you said, it's your point, uh, for all of us who live here in South Florida are touched in, in one way or another, directly or indirectly, and condominiums are such a sort of staple when you think of South Florida, Miami. So, um, you know, we can relate. I think let's, let's talk about those laws that you, you were, you were mentioning. So could you walk our listeners through, you know, our audience of primarily real estate professionals, related industry industry professionals that are familiar with what happened to, to, to an extent, some more than others. In recent months, legal requirements in, uh, in Florida condominium laws have changed. And so from a top line perspective, if you could walk us through what are these new regulations, I believe specifically they're in regards to inspections uh, and reserves. Initially, in the wake of this tragedy, yeah, the governor created a task force, and this was a broad range, engineers, um, um, real estate professionals, lawyers, contractors, developers, people from, from all different areas, very extensive uh, research and, and outreach. And they had a task force. They came out with a report, and I believe it was uh, October of last year. They made recommendations, and then we had the legislative session following that. and nothing was initially passed and so i'm not going to get uh, political but you know I, I think this is a fair statement that generally the, re- the residents the voters in florida couldn't believe it instead we had this tragedy it seems like there's a complex body of laws and regulations and and people and regulators involved in condos and what's going on here and and how how could we have presented this we need new rules new laws and nothing was passed so then after that, there was a special session of the Florida legislature, which passed the law, um, which you're referring to. So it's SB4. So, so SB4 has a few main parts. So one is the new milestone inspections. And the other main part is, I always mess up the name, so I call it SERS. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to look right at my notes, Structural Integrity Reserve Studies and Updated Reserve Requirements. So it's a little confusing. So first we have the milestone inspections. So this was added, and so in the wake of this tragedy, a lot of people heard about this this requirement, the 40-year recertification. Okay. So, and a lot of the narrative forming around that was, 
how how could we wait 40 years to sort of reinspect and 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 recast and recertify a building? Some people said that this sounds like forever. Some people said, hey, maybe 40 years is fine if it's built up. So SB4, the first integral part of it was they enhanced the milestone inspections. So it created a statewide building milestone inspection requirement for condominium buildings, three stories or more in height, that it must occur by December 31st of the 30th year of occupancy. And it must be within the 25th year if you're within three miles of the coast, and then every 10 years after. So in essence, to cut through the legalese, they sped up this 40-year process and said, no, you're not going to let you wait 40 years. You're going to have to start looking at these major systems and major items of your building 25 years if you're close to the coast and 30 years if you're not close to the coast. Interesting. Okay, so that makes sense. So that, uh, in, in a sense, uh, addressing potential issues a lot sooner and then um, the frequent checkups for these, uh, these buildings uh, beginning at 25 years old, depending on how close you are. Um, to the ocean. So that's the first part, right? Milestone inspection. Is there anything else with that regard top line or, or next we have the SIRS? So, so good, good follow-up question. So top line, um, there's the within that milestone inspection, there's a phase one, which is, is visual. It must be done every 10 years. But if the phase one and the design professional, the engineer says there's issues to be looked at further, there needs to be a phase two, which can involve uh, destructive testing and 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 really get into it more. So that's that's sort of the uh, I'll call it the long elevator summary on on the milestone inspections. And then the second big part is what I said I can never remember it. SIRS, structural integrity reserve studies, and also the structural integrity reserve requirements. And so this is this is something that's causing a lot of stir sort of in the industry. So the big thing is cost. So we have to balance cost and safety, right? So out of this uh, Champlain tragedy, one of the narratives that came out was, well, how, how come some of these repairs and projects were delayed or they had to vote for a special assessment or they were getting a loan? Like, why wasn't there money to do this? And this came out, well, you know, there's laws in Florida for the condominium association. They have the option to vote to partially fund their reserves, their long-term repair requirements. And even they, the members can vote to fully waive their reserve requirements. You might say, hey, this elevator is designed to last uh, 10 years. The painting and, and waterproofing is designed to last this long. This is the schedule uh, if you amortize the value of replacement life and how much money you would need to start putting away. So when those repairs come up, you don't get hit with a giant special assessment. There's money saved away for that. Sort of similar, I think a lot of the real estate agents can think of it the way maybe a lender will start holding an escrow for property taxes. And they say, sure. you know, the buyer, borrower, you're gonna each month we're gonna collect a little bit for your property taxes. So you have a property tax escrow at the end of the year. So there's not this, oh my gosh, I need to pay you know fifteen thousand dollars in property taxes. So um the SIRS part of the SB4 bill changed and made it stricter and made mandatory structural reserve components that 
you must reserve for and fully fund and cannot be waived. Okay, interesting. So moving forward, there will be no wiggle room. Uh, financial reserves must be intact for condominiums. Uh, yeah, for the for the mandatory categories they outlined. Um, and to get technical with it, as of December 31st, 2024, the association is prohibited from waiving or reducing reserve funding or using reserves for other purposes in relation to uh, any of the structural categories which are required to be reserved for buildings three stories or more in height. Now, these required categories, roof, load-bearing walls, floors, foundation, fireproofing and fire protection systems, plumbing, electrical systems, waterproofing, windows, and any other item that has a deferred maintenance or replacement cost above 10000 that affects those items I listed. So that's a lot. So now property managers, prospective buyers, current owners, the board of directors of these associations and the attorneys and professionals they work with are saying, how much is this going to cost? Where is the money going to come from? How much of an impact is this going to have on the membership? We need to get our SIRS reserve study done to start seeing what is the useful life of these items? How much is it going to cost to fund these reserves? Where is that money going to come from? One thing I like to always say in the condo world, there's only one pot of honey. It's just, it's from the money from the collective ownership. The sure. property management company is not contributing money. They're not magically fixing things uh, just because. The board of directors is the representative of the owners, but they're not putting their own money in. So there's only one pot of honey. It's, it's funded by the members. So this is a new huge obligation that's going to be funded by members that's not waivable. Right. And so, I mean, obviously moving forward, that's uh, that's a situation for uh, in terms of, you know, there's no waiving, as you mentioned, the, the contingencies. But so for any existing resident, homeowner, condominium, if they had previously waived those reserves, uh, you say so now you're basically backtracking to fill it in. Right. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah. Some buildings have not waived reserves. They've never voted to partially fund reserves. They're fully funded. And so, you know, they might not be stressing it as much. Right. But in, in any event, I guess that, that brings me to like my next point was, that, you know, let's talk about the good, the bad and the ugly with these things. Obviously, the good is we're being safer. Uh, the the bad in, in a sense for it's like it might hurt your pocket, but for the uh, for the sake of safety. But what's what sort of um, beyond that sort of simple assessment, in, in your opinion, what do you think is the good, the bad and the ugly that comes with with, uh, with, with these recent updates? So um, one of the good uh, items that comes from it is people say, how, how could there not be money to do these fixes? Why aren't there reserves? Why isn't there mandatory reserves? Well, there was always required reserves. It was put up to the people who live there and govern themselves to be able to waive it. And you know, as much sometimes as the laws and lawyers and everything can be annoying, the Condo Act 718 even, uh, would require if you're going to vote way reserves in giant bold font on the form you fill out at the budget meeting. I'm voting to waive reserves. I understand that this could result in having a special assessment and additional cost on the road. So one of the good things is it, I think it made it stricter um, and prohibited people from waiving reserves. So I think there's a lot of consensus around having mandatory reserves for these important items that then to a certain extent translates to safety, right? 
So the idea here is some stricter legislation that hopefully translates to safety. So one of the, the bad or the, the ugly parts is, is this going to have or how severe will it have a disproportionate impact on buildings that are struggling financially or have memberships that are struggling financially? Because for many, many Americans, many Floridians, if you're increasing the annual budget by a certain number, your mandatory reserves, which are paid for by your assessments, um, that can have a huge impact on, on many people's um, monthly and annual budgets. So then, you know, that raises the question of, of what happens. Well, you know, there's, there's options to finance these special assessments. So then that makes the payment, the debt service on it, a little more manageable. But ultimately, some buildings, you know, one of the sort of bad or problematic things is, you know, some of these buildings might require the funding of reserves and then the actual work and repairs that go along with it, triggered by these inspections and stricter requirements, that cost more than all the units combined are worth. So that brings us into, uh, I guess, something I wanted to touch on at the end, but I'll I'll jump there now. I'm one of the I, I suppose exit strategies, if you will, um, for for owners and buildings that find themselves in that situation. Historically, has been condo termination, right? Whereby there's a sort of vote, um, you know, by the HOA by the the residents to sell uh, to a developer or whomever, uh, and and basically terminate the building. But I believe what so what is the threshold though for achieving that and sort of what are your thoughts on the process? Can it be made easier? Okay, couple of questions in there. Um, <laughs> so the first caveat I'm gonna say is condominium terminations. Number one, it's a controversial topic, and I'll I'll get into that, but I wanna I wanna try to answer it factually and with my professional experience, but I, I do wanna show deference that condo terminations are controversial uh, to a certain extent, which I'll get into. Number two, it's complicated on on the legal side because um, to jump to the end, you have sort of two competing interests. When you own a condo, you buy subject to a declaration. That's your contract with the association as an entity and all your fellow owners. No different that Omar, if you and I are gonna start a, a company, we're gonna make an LLC, we're going to have uh, someone draft up an operating agreement. We're going to be members of that LLC. And our interactions as members, as owners, are going to be governed by that operating agreement. Your condominium declaration is your operating agreement. It's recorded against the property. When you're working with your uh, buyer's attorney and the title company, your agent, you're going to get that as part of the title work and review. You're buying your unit subject to that declaration, subject to that contract, subject to that, those rights. So one of the things in there is sometimes that declaration is subject to the second category, or th that, that, which is the um, Chapter 718, the Florida Condo Act. So you have this contract that's attached to your unit that governs you and all your neighbors, and you have the Florida Condo Act, subject 718. And guess what? They both can touch on this. So now this is where it gets really confusing. And so my safe answer is it's sort of a case-by-case -case basis. Because your declaration can govern the termination procedure. And your declaration might say this declaration is only subject to the Condo Act 718 written as of the year this declaration was recorded or as of this year. 
So now if laws are subsequently passed, arguably they don't apply. And now Omar's contract with his fellow owners that he bought into, which was recorded in 2001, is governed by the 2001 Florida Condo Act. So if the legislature changes the termination requirements under the Condo Act, you might say, no, we're not governed by that. We have our own contract, which is governed by the 2001 law. Be with me on that? I believe so. So essentially the... Does your condo declaration talk about termination? Mm-hmm. What does it say? Does it have its own special termination procedures? Does it have a looser vote requirement? Does it have a stricter vote requirement? Does it just defer to the Condominium Act and say whatever the Florida legislature passed, that's a termination procedure? If it does say that, does it say this declaration is governed by the Florida Condo Act as amended from time to time? So I think I got what, seven, seven, <laughs> seven. I, I feel like I'm back in. Right uh, that's, that's even without my notes or one of my ACE uh, associates confirming I got the research right. But you see how I wanted to really explain for yeah. listeners it's a complicated process. So what people want to hear generally, they want a number. They want to hear, what is it, 100%? Doesn't everyone have to vote? Is it a majority? So to very, very oversimplify, not provide legal advice, but to, to simplify it, it's generally uh, an 80% vote with less than 10% voting against it. So sort of it's considered a, you know, on the veto. Sure. So I appreciate that. And I feel like we're back in high school chemistry class for a second there. <laughs> so yeah, so the, the, sound, the sound clip is, you know, it's, it's complicated. It's complicated. You want to consult with uh, an attorney, particularly one that specializes in condominium law. You want to see what your declaration says. Does your declaration have a specific termination procedure? Is that enforceable? Or is it governed by the Florida Condo Act? If so, which Florida Condo Act governs it? That's my sort of uh, sound clip for it. I appreciate that. And so, and I didn't mean to skip ahead here. So let's take it back. So that's, that's a condo termination and exit strategies, but going back to, um, you know, what the landscape is right now, post uh, in the post SB4 world, you know, we, we talked about milestone inspections and then we got into SIRS, which brings us to the, you know, sort of one of two roads, right? Uh, the two roads diverging in this, this beautiful yellow wood that is Miami. Um, your, your condo association either is in a good spot, you've got your good reserves uh, and, you know, you're, you're looking at the time, uh, the timeline that um, you'd have to be forced to make certain, um, you know, stru- structural integrity uh, reviews and, and reserves uh, studies. Um, and see, it, it gets me every time. I just call it. I just call it SIRS. Do your SIRS studies, right? <laughs> to talk, say that five times fast. Uh, and the other scenario is maybe um, the the reserves are low. We've waived them, and so now it was saying, "Uh oh, we got a bunch of things that we might have to pay for. How do we pay for that?" So if you find yourself, if you're a homeowner, if you're a condo association, you find yourself in that situation. What like sort of what are the possible outcomes? Because I imagine, as you mentioned, some some might be struggling. Uh, maybe it's an exorbitant amount uh, somewhere in between. If an if an association can't meet all of the demands, and what happens to to those residents and to the building? It's a good question. So you know we haven't we haven't seen this played out yet. It's going to be interesting. I, I think there's going to be some amendments to this law that that might loosen some of the standards or give a longer runway to fund one of these reserves. 
Um, I don't want to misquote things, but um, in some of the industry groups I participate in and talking to people from insurance, property management, uh, construction, I'm hearing like some really wild numbers um, that are, they're merely estimates, but the numbers just in, in talk of, okay, if all of the buildings of this age in Florida had to do this, what would sort of be the economic cost of that? So uh, those conversations are happening now, and I, I do think there'll be some impact there. But, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of buildings, a lot of condominium associations who they're going to have to go out and get loans. And one of the, the things that was talked about as a recommendation, uh, particularly among um, condo attorneys and, and some financial professionals, was what if there could be a state funded uh, or even federally funded program that would make uh, very affordable, very favorable loan terms available for more economically challenged buildings. So they would have a loan vehicle, a loan program, much like we have for certain kinds of home ownership to, to fund these reserves. But there's gonna, there's gonna be a lot of buildings that have to go out and get loans to finance the funding of their special assessments. So people don't have to write the check all at once or in, in two payments, they might be able to you know, pay it out over five, 10, 20 years. So that's, that's one of the most immediate. What about, with regards to so now we're talking about those who are living in the in the building and the association what if i'm a future potential buyer prospective buyer and i'm considering a purchase what do i need to be thinking about as it relates to especially buildings that fall you know are approaching this 25 to 30 year mark excellent question i'll uh, i'll send it to you guys so you can put it in the show notes and you can provide it to people a couple of years ago, I wrote an article called Digging Deeper. You know, what, what do you want to look at uh, before you buy a condo or a luxury condo? Again, taking it back to our business example, if you and I, Omar, were going to invest into a company, buy in a certain uh, a percent into a, a limited liability company, we want to know what's the funding of this company, what liabilities does it have, how much is the cash flow, what, what percent are we going to own, uh, all those things. So again, the analogy applies to a condominium. You're, you're all members of this association. You're governed by this declaration. There's a budget. There's reserves that the, you want to know. What is the financial position? What are the rights? Just like if you're buying into a company, what does the operating agreement say? What are the rights under that? What are the rights of the declaration? Who can pass the special assessment? What votes are required? What are the leasing restrictions? So all those things, were sort of what people were doing that were really getting into it. Now the conversation is going much deeper. We start seeing what structural reports do you have? Uh, let me see your prior reserve studies, not just your budget and reserve funding, but your reserve studies. What are the useful lives on the system? What projects do you have planned? People are now, you know, they're the real, the sophisticated realtors, like many at your company attorneys they work with and sophisticated buyers. They want the meeting minutes. They want to see the budget. They want to see the reserves. They're really diving into this due diligence and going through it with their team to do much more of an assessment of the building and beyond just that negotiation and contractual relationship between buyer and seller, but also between buyer and your the future uh, sort of partners, your, your fellow owners, your condominium association. What are you buying into? And so that's where you're seeing where 
I want to see the structural reports in the last five years. I want to see the current plan projects. I want to see what contracts they have. So people are, are really diving in and getting a lot, lot more due diligence. So that's in one sense, and, I, and tell me if I'm interpreting or absorbing that incorrectly, but I'm hearing, you know, doing a lot of due diligence, a lot of homework, and really understanding the status of said condominium right before you decide to purchase. But is the new buyer inheriting the special assessment or would it go away with the seller? Yeah. Yeah, that's so in the standard Florida Bar, Florida Association of Realtors, uh, residential purchase and sale contract, if you're buying into a, a condominium, there's a, a form that goes along with it, the condo rider, which, which all your agents will refer to. The condo rider is going to talk about uh, where the seller discloses, are there any pending special assessments? How much is it? Uh, when does it have to be paid? And then it's a negotiation point of who's going to pay for it, the buyer or seller. And then there's a little bit of a gray area that you know people listening to this, I want them to have a takeaway from. I want them to be thinking about, are there any proposed or potential or thought about or floating in the air special assessments that people sort of know are coming, but they haven't been levied yet. They haven't been passed. They haven't been approved because that's what I want people to be careful about because no, if the special assessment has been passed, it's going to be disclosed in the a stop on the association and the, the rider. But what I don't want to see happen to people is the building and is talking about having a big project. It's not passed yet. They only have rough numbers. But then, boom, a month after ownership, 14-day notice as required by law. Board sets a special meeting. They pass a giant $20 million special assessment. And Omar and his spouse say, what in the heck did we buy into? Right. What, what, what did we buy into? So so that's where it comes in with the extra due diligence of just of seeing is there any planned or like sort of proposed where it falls in this gray sure. area, looking at the prior meeting. I mean, I just had someone call me the other day who said we closed uh, late, I guess, mid, uh, late spring, early summer. And a month later, they're saying they want to redo the roof and all the windows. It's going to be $250,000. Wow. How is this possible? Wow. Wow. So, I mean, to your point, you got to do that due diligence. You got to ask those extra questions and go, go, you know, do the homework and consult a legal professional like, uh, like David here and, and uh, the fine folks at Haber law. Um, David, so I'm going to wrap it up because I know that you're going to have to jump soon. Final thoughts. Is there anything else that, um, listeners should keep in mind that you want them to know about as it relates to, uh, this post SB4 world? Um, sure. Uh, these topics are very serious and they can be scary. And, um, it's contrasted with South Florida is still an amazing place to live. We're, we're growing like crazy. There's more and more businesses coming here every day. There's more and more people coming here from all over. You know, we have amazing diversity, amazing businesses here, amazing people. I'm a Midwestern guy. I love living down here. I love the vibrancy and diversity of South Florida. So condos aren't going anywhere. And we all hope, and I don't think uh, South Florida is going anywhere either. So. These things are going to be difficult. 
they can be a little scary, but um, it's contrasted with this. There's so many amazing things going on within South Florida market, within the real estate market of South Florida, that uh, it's tough to get your arms around the whole situation because we still have a real estate market that's been very strong. So within that real estate market, the condo market's been very strong. So there are going to be these stricter requirements. They are going to be costly. There's going to have to be some very serious issues worked out with some buildings. But, you know, we hope that through the professionals in the legislature and the continued demand, we'll get through it and we'll, we'll continue to have a strong and vibrant real estate market down here. I like it. Very well said. And I think we're going to leave it there. So once again, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this was David Podine, partner and chair of the Real Estate and Transactional Law Group at Haber Law. Um, David, where can our listeners um, get in touch with you or find you if they're interested, whether they live in a condo or they're, they're considering purchasing, they want to learn more, uh, where can they get in touch with you? Sure. Um, you know, for better or worse these days, uh, we have our phones and our email and all of that. You can send me an email. Uh, dpodine at haber.law it's a little confusing not.com haber.law um, i'm on twitter you can find me there or uh, i'm happy to connect with people offline as well excellent we'll put your information in the show notes as well as the uh link to your article um and hopefully maybe you can join us in the future david to give us an update on on what's going on uh, any any updates on that front you gotta be happy to thank you so much to you and your team for putting this together. I'm honored to uh, to speak here and hope to shed some light on these topics which are very important and uh, be happy to do a follow-up session. Just let me know. Absolutely. We appreciate your insights. So thank you, David. And for those of you out there, uh, we'll see you next week. Until then, remember that here in Miami, the future is always bright. Take care, folks. Thank you.